Several years ago, a Northwest Airlines flight was landing in Memphis International Airport. And partly because of a gusty wind and partly because the pilot was somewhat distracted, he made a very poor landing. He sort of slammed the airplane onto the runway. Nobody was hurt in the plane, but everybody was jostled a good bit. Now, it's the custom of Northwest, and I think other airlines too, as passengers disembark, the pilot is supposed to stand at the door of the cockpit to thank them for flying that airlines and to hear any statements, comments they might have. This pilot was worried because he figured he was going to get reamed out because of the awful landing. To his amazement, not a single passenger offered a critical word until the last one stepped up. And this was a little elderly lady walking with a cane. And she looked up into his face and said, Sonny, did we land or were we shot down? Now, you know, all of us have those times in our lives when we feel like we've been shot down. I mean, life has a way it can batter you from time to time. Uh, and at times like that, it's so hard to believe. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are trying to fit into his plans. Makes it hard to believe that. If you haven't learned that life can break your heart, Either you haven't lived very long or you haven't been paying attention. Yeah, life can break your heart in so many ways. The most obvious way, of course, is the death of a loved one. But there are a lot of other ways life can break your heart, too. Just suppose you're a 50-year-old executive in a major company. You've been with the company 20 years. You've got a big salary now. You're in a high position. And all of a sudden, your company gets bought out by an international corporation. They've got a person in another country doing your job. They don't need you anymore. And even though they give you a liberal severance, you've got two kids in college. You can't exist on an entry-level salary. That can break your heart. Suppose you've been married for 25 years. And yeah, the marriage has had some ups and downs, but you're still totally unprepared when your spouse comes to you one day and says, I don't know how it happened or why or even when, but I'm just not in love with you anymore and I want a divorce. That can break your heart. Suppose you're a young woman who's always dreamed of having home and family, even from the time as a little girl when you played with a dollhouse and pushed a baby carriage but you just had your 40th birthday and Mr. Wright has not come along. And all of a sudden you have to consider the possibility that some of those dreams may not come true and that can break your heart. And then there's so many ways that your health problems can be heartbreaking. You can develop some debilitating, painful condition like a stroke or chronic arthritis, and then perhaps after numerous medical treatments, the doctor may just say to you, 
I've got to tell you that some of the activities you've always enjoyed, you're not going to be able to do them anymore. And this pain that you're dealing with, I'm afraid you're going to have to learn to live with it. That can break your heart. And of course, if your child has a handicapping condition of one sort or another, and you have to consider parts of life that he or she may not be able to enjoy, that will break your heart too. Everybody has to drink some of this cup of heartbreak. And that's the reason that the poet Tennyson wrote these words, never morning wore to evening, but some heart did break. Now God knew that all of us would face tragedy, heartbreak, hurt. And so God in his wisdom and grace caused the book of Job to be placed in our Bible. And in that book of Job, you know God and Satan have a conversation. And they both agree that the most righteous, up, upstanding man on earth is a guy named Job. But Satan says to God, yeah, yeah, he's awfully, he's awfully righteous, all right. But look at all the stuff you've done for him. He's wealthy, healthy, big family. You've given him so much stuff. No wonder he's faithful to you. If, if he didn't have all that stuff, he would denounce you. God said, I don't agree. I don't agree. I, I don't think he loves me because of the stuff I've given him. I think he loves me because of who I am. Satan says, in effect, put your money where your mouth is. Take away his stuff and he'll denounce you. Well, God withdrew some of his protections from Job, and in a very short time, he lost his children, his wealth, and his health. He was devastated, but he did not denounce God. Three of his good friends came to comfort him. And the best thing they did was for seven days, they sat with him and said nothing. Once they started talking, they were a lot more aggravating than they were helpful because they believed that his suffering had a rational explanation. They, they felt he was being punished for some sin. And if he would just identify the sin, repent of it, life would be good again. Well, Job did not agree with their analysis, but he had no other explanation. Often you hear about the patience of Job. <laughs> Read the first 37 chapters and you won't find any patience from Job. All he did, fuss and fume with God all day long. Sort of like maybe you and I have done at times. And finally, in the last five chapters of the book, we have the climax of the book of Job. God appears to Job, revealing his incredible power, his flawless character. But he does not give Job an explanation for his suffering. Oh, no. But after meeting God, Job no longer asks for an explanation. Here's the bottom line on the book of Job. If you are in a personal relationship with our loving God, you can live with unanswered questions and can cope with any heartbreak. I want to say that again. If you are in a personal relationship with our loving God, you can live with unanswered questions and can cope with any heartbreak.
Now, in the light of Job's story and the total biblical witness, I want to offer a three-part recipe for dealing with heartbreak. And there will be a test later. So you better be filling in the blanks there in your bulletin. There will be a test. And if you're somewhere today and, and someone asks, what in the world did the preacher talk about today? I want you to be able to say, he gave us a three-part recipe for dealing with heartbreak and then be able to recite them. The first one, number one, remember that life is not fair, but God is good. Remember that life is not fair, but God is good. That is the title, by the way, of a book by the late Robert Shuler of the Crystal Cathedral out in California. If this world were not marred by sin, it would be fair. This world was fair in the Garden of Eden, but sin entered. And sin has cast a shadow over this world that will not finally be extinguished altogether until Jesus returns in final victory. God is good, but God does not control everything that happens. God has limited his control in this world so that we can be truly free. Many things that happen in this world not only violate God's will, they almost break his great heart. Now, we're dealing with a great mystery, folks. I don't pretend to be able to plumb all the depths of the mystery, but with the guidance of the Holy Word, I'll go part way with you. Listen carefully. Not everything that happens is in God's plan, but everything is useful in God's hand. Or let me say that another way. God does not intend everything that happens, but he superintends everything that happens. St. Paul had some kind of physical ailment. We don't know exactly what it was, but at times it brought his ministry to a screeching halt, and it was very painful. Some experts think he had migraine headaches. Others think he had a rare Mediterranean virus that caused progressive blindness and was very painful. Paul asked... Paul asked the Lord three times, please cure this thorn in my flesh. God did not do it. God, who had healed other people when Paul asked, did not heal Paul. Instead, the Lord said to Paul, my grace will be sufficient for you. No explanation, just the assurance of God's presence and power. Anybody who believes that Christians are always protected from accidents and tragedies and heartbreaks is sadly mistaken. It is dangerously naive to believe that just because you believe in Jesus, there's an invisible shield around you and no accident can happen. Cancer cannot strike. No tragedy come your way. No, no, no. God does not offer that kind of deal. The Bible says... God does not show favoritism. He causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust alike. Did you know that God loves non-believers just as much as he loves us believers? Can you believe that God loves the Chinese as much as he loves the Americans? Cancer does not exempt from its attacks 
the godly folks. Nor do criminals attack only pagan folks. We are really growing in our faith when we can say sincerely, I do not know what tomorrow can bring or will bring, be it good or bad. But this I know, I'll never have to face anything that God and I cannot manage together. Yes, yes, that's true. Here comes the second guideline. Stay close enough to God to let him mend your heart. Stay close enough to God to let him mend your heart. One of Satan's favorite tricks is to slip up to a believer who is going through some tragedy or heartbreak and whisper in his or her ear something like this. Ah, I told you he didn't love you. If God loved you, he would have prevented that. He didn't prevent it. Therefore, he does not love you. And it's about time you stop worshiping him. You ought to denounce him. What is Satan's purpose? He wants to destroy you, and in order to do that, he's got to separate you from your source. Now, Satan had a really good mouthpiece in Job's wife. Her advice to him was, curse God and die. What a fountain of encouragement that woman was. I bet she was a thrill to live with. A former great preacher in Atlanta, Pierce Harris, lost his wife in an auto accident. And someone, not a member of his church, wrote him a note and said, uh, Dr. Harris, I hope that your great loss will not destroy your faith. And Harris, Pierce Harris told his congregation sometime later, I felt like writing back to the man and saying, haven't I lost enough without throwing out the only thing that's keeping me going? My faith. Let me share something very personal. In November 1982, our little blonde-headed eight-year-old son, Aaron, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, a brainstem glioma. And the next six months were absolute agony. Radiation helped a little while, but that, that tumor was ferocious. Gradually, he lost the motor functions one after the other, the ability to walk and then to talk. And then later, breathing became difficult, so a tracheal tube had to be inserted. And after six months, cancer conquered his body, and we tenderly returned him to the Heavenly Father who had loaned him to us in the first place. And we were absolutely devastated. Hundreds of people who knew us had prayed fervently, stop that tumor. But it didn't stop. And of course, we asked why. And over the coming weeks, God gave me a nonverbal answer, but a very clear answer. God said, if I were to answer your question why, I'm not so sure it would be that comforting for you. But if you will stay close to me, I'm going to make you some promises. 
First, I will put resources along your pathway for you and your family as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will take real good care of Aaron until you see him again. And then you're going to have all eternity to make up for the years here that you are separated. Furthermore, the Lord said, if you turn over this heartbreak to me, I will make it produce something of value. And finally, even though you cannot imagine this now, I will make your life good again. And we said to the Lord, of course we accept because we got no other place to go. This heartache is so big and ferocious that only you are big enough to cope with it. I stand before you 34 years later to testify that God has kept his word and so much more. Oh, sure, we think about Aaron every day. And sometimes when I see a little eight-year-old blonde-headed boy, a pain goes right through the heart. And Christmas is not quite the same because it was his special season of the year. But by the grace of God, our spirits are strong, our faith is steady, and life is good again. The point is this. Stay close enough to God to let him mend your heart. Here is the third and the final guideline. Ask God to bring some good out of your pain. Ask God to bring some good out of your pain. Even the greatest saints in history have had to suffer heartbreak. St. Paul, his dream was to go to Spain. St. Paul was a pioneer evangelist. He loved to take the gospel to places where people had never heard it before. And Spain was such a place. And so Paul wanted to go there. He never got there. Instead, he ended up in a filthy jail cell in Rome. And if you and I had been in place of Paul, I think I know what we would have said to God. I think we would have said, Lord, I can't believe it. Here I am, your number one evangelist in the whole world, and I want to go spread the gospel, and instead of that, you, you let me get cooped up in a jail. If that's how you treat your friends, I'd sure hate to be your enemy. That is not the way Paul reacted. Paul sat down in that jail cell and wrote half the New Testament. I guess the Lord knew that Paul was such an obsessive compulsive, the only way to make him sit down and write was to lock him up. And in that jail cell, he was chained to Roman guards in four-hour shifts. They came in every four hours different one. They thought that Paul was their captive. Paul thought that they were his captive. And if you're chained for four hours to a Christian who's worth his salt, you're going to hear some gospel. Paul evangelized all those Roman guards, and some of them received it and became 
faithful followers of Jesus. How do we know that? Because later he wrote to the Philippian church and he said this, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel. It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. End of quote. Paul was right, you know. All things do work together for good for them that love the Lord and are trying to fit into his plans. God can take even the painful, awful, tragic parts of your life that are entrusted to him and make them productive. Let me add a word here about Aaron's death. Though it broke our hearts, God has forced that tragedy to produce dividends. Now, he didn't cause it. His heart was broken in the process like ours. But because we entrusted it to him, he was able to use it. He has given me a window of understanding into hurting people that I did not have before. And now when I sit down with somebody with a broken heart, whew, I know. He forced me to become more God-dependent when beforehand there was a self-sufficiency that would creep into my life. The loss of Aaron just brought me to my knees. His death confirmed that what I'd been preaching all through the years was absolutely true, that his grace is sufficient for every need. And so now I truly understand a classic poem by Robert Browning that has now become lodged in my heart. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and not a word said she. But all oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. I even know some people who came to Christ because of Aaron's death. They told me later, they said, we were not close to the Lord beforehand, but we had to imagine what if one of our family members were taken from us? Where could we find a source big enough to cope with it? And we figured nobody but God was big enough. So we trusted him as Savior and Lord. Anytime a heartbreak is turned over to God, he can force it to produce some good. Now let's review those three guidelines and see if you're equal to the test. I want you to repeat them out loud. The first one, remember that life is not fair, but God is good. Secondly, stay close enough to God to let him mend your heart. And thirdly, ask God so good. Let me close by telling you about uh, Corey and Jack. Uh, Corey and Jack were an elderly couple in my very first church up on the north side of Columbia. Corey and Jack were retired. Uh, Jack had retired from the highway department, so he had a small pension and Social Security. That's all they lived on. They had not been able to have any children. Lived out in the country in a clapboard frame house and really just lived in two rooms of that house. But I don't know if I've ever known a couple that was happier 
than Jack and Corey. They loved the Lord. They loved his church. They loved each other. Now, one of Corey's specialties was she was a world-class cook. She had some fruit trees out behind the house, including some apple trees, and every once in a while she would harvest some of those apples and make an apple pie, and it would walk and talk. And, you know, one of a pastor's responsibilities is to exercise quality control over the nourishment his people are receiving. Yeah. I think that's in the United Methodist Book of Discipline. But if not, it's in the first book of Calamities, but I don't remember what chapter or, or verse. But anyway, so from time to time, I would drop by to make sure that Jack was being treated well. Uh, another of Corey's specialties was she created beautiful patch quilts. Indeed, there was one room in her house devoted to this. She had a frame suspended from the ceiling, and she was always collecting pieces of cloth. And when she got enough, she would go in there and produce a patch quilt. She did not sell them. She gave them away to people she loved. But if you had one of Corey's patch quilts, you had a treasure. Well, one day I was stopping by the house, and I noticed right beside the door there was a pasteboard, there was a, a pasteboard basket, and in it was, were pieces of cloth. She was preparing to make a, a quilt. And I said to her, Corey, you see that piece of purple there on top that is flat ugly get rid of it it'll mess up your patch quilt if you keep it she said now preacher I don't recall trying to teach you to preach <laughs> and I really don't need your help on patch quilts I said all right and went back to the apple pie about two months later I was by their house again and after we had talked a little while, she said, Ah, preacher, come with me. I want to show you something. She took me into the quilting room. She had just finished a brand new patch quilt. And she pointed out to the middle of it and said, Now, you see that right in the middle? You see that piece of purple cloth that you said such bad things about? I want to know what you think now. I said, Corey. I said, I just can't believe what you've done. When I looked at that piece of cloth there in the bag by itself, it was flat ugly. But, but the way you have woven it into, with every color in the rainbow, what you have created there is just an absolute masterpiece. On my way home that day, God whispered to me and said, Son, you have just witnessed a parable about life. There are some pieces of our experience that are like that piece of cloth, ugly, hurtful, tragic. And if we clutch those pieces to our heart and brood over them, it will wreck our disposition, ruin our attitude, and separate us from God. But if you will take those ugly pieces of life's experience and entrust them to the master. He is able to weave them into the total tapestry of your life with such wisdom and power and grace that the finished product is an absolute masterpiece. The only way to deal with a heartbreak is to turn it over to the master. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I want to give you a chance to activate 
the truth of what I've just been declaring. I'm going to invite you to form your hands into a kind of cup, palms upward. And I want you to close your eyes, bow your heads, and I want you to think of some heartbreak or tragedy or anxiety that is stealing some of your joy. And once you identify that tragedy or heartbreak or anxiety, I want you to imagine it sitting right there in the palm of your hands. And then I'm going to pray silently and hesitate after each phrase so that you can pray that prayer silently. Dear Heavenly Father, I turn over this heartbreak to you. Lift the burden of it off my heart. Make it produce some good for you and your kingdom. Amen. Today is All Saints Sunday when we remember with gratitude those church members who have passed from the church militant to the church triumphant in the past year. I'm going to invite you now to stand as those names are scrolled on the screens. Please stand. Let's observe moments of silence and reflection and thanksgiving for their lives. Thank you. Now you may be seated. Now we are going to give you an opportunity to honor the memory of your loved ones who have passed on. On the tables down front, four different places, you see that there are lots of small candles in platters, and then there are some large candles that are burning. We invite you in just a moment to come forward and take one of these small candles, light it from the large candle, and then place it back in the tray, and then return to your seat. I'm going to come and light a candle in memory of our beloved Aaron, and I invite you to do the same in memory of your loved one. 